No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. With GameTime, you can buy your tickets in just two taps. You know what I wish I could do in just two taps? Clean my house. Maybe I need a Roomba. Two taps, house is clean, watch sports all day. But until then, at least I've got GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey everybody, it's Arthur Staple, your faithful Islanders beat writer from The Athletic, and we're bringing No Sleep Till Belmont to you, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Sitting here in the beautiful LAX Weston with uh, the runway, <laughs> the, the planes rumbling down the runway in the background as you can hear, and uh, that laughter belongs to my able partner in crime, Mark Parrish, coming to you live from Minnesota. What's up, my friend? Oh, not a whole lot. In that thick of hockey out here from some U-12s, the girls. Nice. Not quite as nice as the LAX, but, you know, playing ice <laughs> arena is pretty nice. I believe it. Yeah, now this uh, this is this is one of the finer hotel rooms I've been in in a while. So, uh, we're basically, we're telling you where we're coming from just to, just to reinforce that we'll go to great lengths and great distances <laughs> to bring you another episode. So, uh, that's yeah, right. coming off. Uh, that's right. So, coming off... Um, the end of the Islanders' 17-game point streak, which was, uh, you know, is probably something, no matter how the rest of the season goes, I think it's going to be something that we look back on with this team and say, I, I still don't really believe that it happened because, for any number of reasons, just that just that um, 15 wins, a few of them in overtime, a couple in a shootout, but but really this was this was a range of... Uh, of characters that contributed to it, a, a range of guys that, you know, a range of ways that they won, a couple of ridiculous comebacks in the last couple of weeks. Um, what did you make of all of it, Mark? You know, it was impressive how they just came together uh, to me, how they, how they, how, how the, the run came together, excuse me. You know, there was some times there they played spectacular and they had to fight for a one goal win, a fuck fight to come back. But then all of a sudden there was t- times where they just, they kind of struggled too. And still found a way to win, and that to me is a sign of a great hockey team. Good, good teams, good teams find a way to win win games. Great teams win games when sometimes they don't deserve to. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I think uh, after the, the loss to the Ducks uh, last night out in Anaheim, Barry Trotz kind of said, you know, that we we learned. We certainly know the standard and paid the price a lot of nights to, to earn points. So we deserve them. And tonight we didn't deserve it. And Anaheim did. And I think, um, you know, it's, it, it sounds more critical, I think, uh, than maybe it intended to be, at least to my ears. Um, and it's not overly critical. I think it's just, we haven't heard that kind of criticism before because it's it, even the, the bad nights have been muted by the fact that they, they had one or two points. So <laughs> exactly. uh, it's hard to be, it's hard to really get too worked up. And I think it's, it's also hard to, make too much of a of a three nothing loss uh game that they came out and played really well in the first period and then um you know uh maybe maybe a little a little pleased with themselves or thinking that you know oh yeah we we've come back so many times in the last uh month and a half that that's just going to happen and and it really was it was kind of a dud 
second and third yeah. period. I think there were six total shots on goal in the third period, and two of the three for the Ducks went in. So it was, um, yeah, it was a disappointing one, but one I think is the key part of it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's when you go when you go on a string like that. I never, I was never part of a streak of, of that nature, which is flat out incredible. Uh, but it is kind of funny how you you kind of just get to you, you tend to naturally relax a little bit more and a little bit more with each win, a little bit more with each win. And when you finally get to that point where you're, you're you just lose a game or even losing a game late in the third period, you almost look up and you're shocked. Like you're almost like, wait a minute, how are we? Are we are we actually going to lose this game? How did that happen? <laughs> like you, you just, so it's 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 not so much like completely frustration or anger. It's literally shock that you're looking up and you're losing the game with a minute left or whatever it may be. Yeah, and it wasn't. You know, I I don't think it was. Uh, you could pick out one or two culprits, you know, Thomas Grice, who had been lights out throughout the whole run of his uh, eight, you know, eight starts, eight wins, I think a 947 yeah. even strength save percentage, which, you know, that's that's like playoff series type stuff. Um, you know, he gave up a cheap one there at the, you know, make it three nothing. And I, I just think, you know, it, it's probably there's no good time to lose a game um, and no good way to lose a game. And maybe if they lost this one five, four, where they battled or they blew a lead or whatever, there might be a little bit more. um more willingness to just say, eh, it's one night. But I think when everybody kind of just, uh, you know, takes that takes that step back or, or just doesn't take that step forward to to seize the game, um, it probably is easier for Barry Trotz to be somewhat critical and to come out uh, today when they go out to practice in a little bit here in L.A. to say, okay, you know, we, we accomplished something big, but now it's over with and we have to get back to, you know, churning it out game by game and, and you know, doing the work that got us to this point in the first place. For sure. And, and, and the hard part uh, is when when you win a hockey, when you're winning hockey games, usually you're not really playing as well as you want to. And when you lose games, you're probably, excuse me, backwards. Yeah, you, you, excuse me, no, I was right. Uh, if you, <laughs> When you win hockey games, you're not playing as well as you think you are. When you lose a hockey game, you're not playing as bad as you think you are. But the one thing with a coach uh, when you're winning hockey games, you can't be overly critical on the team's play as well because that could get into the psyche. All of a sudden, that gets into the confidence. So uh, this loss, almost in a way, I, I bet in many ways, Coach Trotz was like kind of relieved. Like, oh, my Lord. Now I can actually kind of critique and pick on these little things that we haven't necessarily been doing well, but have been finding a way to win hockey games so you've got to be careful with balancing that. Once you finally, lo- when you do lose, that's when it's easier to learn your lesson. P- guys are more receptive to hear the the negative things, the things that you aren't doing well as a team because, well, you're not just like, well, whatever, coach, we won. What do you mean we didn't do it well? Well, once you lose, you, you know, you, you're like, all right, well, it's sitting there right in your face. It's right under your nose what you didn't do well. And it's easier for a coach to get that across to his team. Yeah, so... Uh- Looking back over the streak and just the more recent parts of it, since last time we talked, they hadn't yet uh, come back from two goals down to win in Pittsburgh in overtime and and had won the back-and-forth game in Brooklyn over the Penguins before this trip started, and then overtime loss in San Jose, where, frankly, I think that was the best best game they played in the last couple of weeks. It was the most complete game, I thought, anyway. Um, yeah. Brock, Let's start with Brock Nelson, who was the third star of the week in the NHL last week. Two overtime winners, uh, almost won the game in regulation with a late power play goal against the Penguins uh, last Thursday. Um, 
This is a guy who, you know, we talked about the Brocktober movement. Even even Barry's on board with it when we were when we, he was asked about him being third star. <laughs> he said, "I guess Brocktober's carried over to, no, to November now." So, so we got a little Brovember going for for Brock Nelson, and um, you know, you, you fellow Minnesota guy, you know him pretty well. He's a guy who, um, for a lot of the, his time on the island, you know. A very streaky score, and obviously because of the Brocktober hashtag, uh, a very early season score who then leveled out, which I think makes sometimes makes it look a little worse when you end up with 20, 19, 20, 22 goals. It's like, hey, that's a pretty decent number for the NHL these days. But if you get seven or eight of them in the first six weeks of the season, <laughs> then it doesn't look quite so good. And I think also his, you know, his his uh, his demeanor, I think, on the ice is very placid, easygoing guy. But I think. Um, in this last year plus with Barry Trotz, given him uh, the responsibility of being essentially last year the number one center because he didn't think Matthew Barzal was quite ready. So Nelson was really the guy, you know, taking a lot of the draws, a lot of power play time, some penalty killing time. And this year it's been a lot of the same after signing the, the six-year deal in the offseason. And he's really picked up where he left off. This is, uh, you know, uh, we, we talked a little about Josh Bailey, kind of the late season, late, late career transformation into a scorer. Brock Nelson is... Uh, is making kind of a mid-career transformation into a, a, a really solid number two slash number one center. You know, and a lot of that has to do with like his confidence away from the puck, his play away from the puck. Yeah, you're right. He's got one of those uh, the demeanors that it sometimes gets frust- fans can get frustrated or kind of can get mis- misconceived, and and the way like almost like a Patrick Marlowe where he just kind of they, they they never change their demeanor. They don't really seem to change their stride. So it's. Well, I guess they were working hard because he got two goals last <laughs> night. But if you know if they don't put up numbers, guys like man, you know, it didn't even look like they were working hard, even though that they are. They're smooth skaters. They're big guys. They just keep that even keel. Which, if I was a coach, I would want all my players to be able to keep that even keel. That shows a level of maturity in himself and in his game with with that mentality. But the thing that's really helped him out, I think, is his confidence away from the puck. His his play. He, you know, scores, goal scores can be streaky. He's he's had some better years and some you know some weaker years as his career's gone on. But the one thing that's gotten better is his complete game. And when you get better and better with your complete game, your confidence when you get those scoring opportunities will just go up. Yeah, and it was you know I think the game in Pittsburgh where they tied it late, they weren't very good in the in the faceoff circle. But he won I think two or three draws once they had the net empty. Um, to kind of help set up. They really only got off one shot and it was all they needed with Ryan Pollock tying that game. And then Nelson won it in overtime. And um, yeah, I mean, there was a game in Winnipeg. I think we talked about earlier in the year where they were trying to preserve a two, one lead. He was out there. I think he won all four draws with the jets net empty and it ended up leading to a Josh Bailey empty net goal. So this is a guy who has, has, like you said, has improved a lot around the margins and also still has the ability to score goals. He's not really, you know, I think he was also, reliant for a lot of years on the the long range wrist shot and he's got an incredible release with that wrist shot but i think you see him doing a little bit some stuff that's a little bit different now playing in tighter next to the net um Mm -hmm. you know to be able to add those facets to your game especially at coming coming off a, a big contract and and i think you know before we had this show i probably wrote or answered questions for fans over the over the off season when when they said who's the biggest priority to re-sign out of anders lee jordan eberle and Brock Nelson and I immediately said Brock Nelson because there just were no other centers available. I think it was him and Kevin Hayes were really the guys that anybody was looking at, and they get Nelson for six times six. Kevin Hayes goes to Philly for 
an extra year and an extra million per year. And people kind of said, well, that's an overpay. I said, okay, if that's an overpay. Then this guy is an underpay. They're basically, <laughs> they're basically the same player. And, uh, and so far, you know, for, for the way that he's started the year, um, it's, it's right in line. And, and just to be able to have that one, two punch with Barzal and Nelson for a long time is, uh, is going to be key for these guys. And I just love that, that to have everything as what you said with Nelson, but I like having that, that, that difference between the one-two punch to have Barzell and then Nelson, completely different style of players, both goal scorers, both offensive, but the way they play the game, the way they go about their business, the way that you have to defend them are completely different. Yeah, and then you throw in Casey Sezikis, which has basically been a three-center rotation for a lot of the streak because they moved Derek Broussard to the right side with Nelson, and they've really kind of been jumbling around that extra fourth line even though we call casey's line the fourth line but but those three (laughs) those three centers can match up with a lot of teams and that this is the way you play in the playoffs too i know i know barry's preaches four lines four lines four lines and i think uh i think we may see at some point here in the near future we may see broussard go back to that three c just so they can try to roll a little bit better but but that nelson broussard anthony bovillier line and we haven't even gotten anthony bovillier who hit a couple posts in the last two games that could have changed the complexion of both of those and is basically turned into a completely different player now in his fourth year. Just a, a, a dynamo on the forecheck and a guy who's got a lot of confidence in his shot and uh, is willing to take it. It's uh, That's pretty exciting to see too. So that, we'll see what the Islanders can do up front in terms of in the middle, but, um, but there's still plenty of positives even though they lost. So we'll move on to the one negative I guess you could say and for right now it's probably Jordan Eberle and uh, it really came to a head for him in the last couple of games out here um, you know Evander Kane bodied him off the puck along the wall kind of just used his strength to get past him to set up Logan Couture for the OT winner in San Jose uh, and then last night uh, he scored a goal but it was on the wrong net and he's still stuck on <laughs> zero official goals but um, it's uh, it, it's it's sort of eerily reminiscent of last year when it, it, you know, you wondered who on this team would have trouble adjusting to the Barry Trot system of, of defense first and being responsible and using defense to turn into offense. And and really, I think most of the season, Everly was the guy that we kind of said, mm, I don't know if he fits the system. As it turned out, you know, the last two weeks of the season when he scored five of his nineteen goals, and then the red hot playoffs earned him a, a five year deal and uh you know at a pretty reasonable 5.5 million per year and and right wing is a spot where they're really thin so then comes into this year has an okay start hurts his knees out for uh, the a bulk of this this 17 game streak and even when he comes back they're still winning games but he's not quite in the flow of things and i think the last couple um sort of tells me we don't know what what barry trotz is going to do Tomorrow night, when they face the Kings to wrap up this this three game California swing, but I would imagine that uh, that Everly might find himself uh, on a different line than the one with with Matthew Barzal for the for the short term anyway, just to sort of give him a little bit of a kick in the pants. But but no goals in twelve games for him so far, and uh, and then when you end up having a you know the accidental own goal there, I can't imagine that that sits well with you mentally, no matter what stage you are at your career. Absolutely. It's that's tough. You know, confidence. The the good thing about it for him is that the team was winning. So, yes, he's struggling, trying to find the back of the net, trying to just find his game. But the team is winning. So you can kind of it's okay. And, yeah, you know, Coach Trotz and the coaching staff are constantly working with everyone in the NHL. That's how it works. Uh, but as a as your as your own is inside of your own head uh, when you're when you're a player when the team's winning you can kind of sort of forgive yourself a little bit and then when the team loses it and and you put one into your own net that's that's a tough one 
that's a tough one for the psyche because then it all kind of comes to a head where it's like, all right, I know I've been struggling and all of a sudden we lose. And one of the reasons is because I put it in my own net. That, that just is something he's just got to keep working through. And, and just one of the main things, whenever I was struggling with goals, sometimes the game isn't very nice. Sometimes you get opportunities, you hit posts. Sometimes you go two, three games without getting the puck at all. And you just feel like it's, it's it almost like you realize or feel that the game just doesn't like you. It just sometimes isn't very <laughs> nice. And you just got to work your way through that. The one way that I found, and most of the guys, especially goal scorers, when they get in this, because most goals, goal scorers are streaky. Just the great ones, you know, they just have shorter downsides, down, down streaks. And um, focus on your game. Focus on the rest of your game. Like, all right, fine. If I can't, if I can't find the back right now, find the back of the net, if I'm having trouble finding scoring chances, whatever it may be, well, then the rest of my game has to be good, has to be perfect. You can't give it, give anything else any other reason why than, hey, the puck's just not going in. But if you start to look and, well, you, hey, he's struggling on the wall in the breakout, or, hey, he's losing his guys in the D zone, or he's making poor decisions in the neutral zone, you know, that's when it starts to compile up, and that's when you start to really start to doubt your game. You can lose a little confidence in scoring goals, but you can never, ever, ever get to the point where you start to doubt your game as a whole. We'll get into the Islanders' crazy schedule between the holidays in a minute. But first, a word from DraftKings. I don't know about you, but I'm so ready for Thursday. Turkey, stuffing, gravy, pumpkin pie. Stuffing is really my favorite. So, uh, and, and then my favorite, three huge heaping helpings of football. That's my kind of feast. And to top it all off is the action you can get betting on the games thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. You can take advantage of special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday. Take a listen to just some of the offers DraftKings has going on. Before kickoff, place a bet on the winner of any Thanksgiving football games, and DraftKings will give you a free $5 bet. Plus, during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. Just check out the Promos tab after sign-up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK at sign-up. For a limited time, all users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. Don't forget, that's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so we've talked about what's going on. The streak ends. Uh, let's spin it a little bit forward here. They've got uh, the Kings to wrap up this California trip uh, tomorrow, and then Saturday home in Brooklyn against Columbus, and then a very wild and woolly December. Uh, 14 games in the 31 days. So actually, 14 games in 30 days because they don't play till December 2nd in Detroit. Uh, nine of those are on the road. Um, it's a busy month. And also just in life, it's a busy month. The, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, whether you're American or not, is uh, uh, you're in the States. People are there's there's lots more people around. If you've got a wife and kids as a player, they're around, uh, you know, kids get antsy for Christmas, uh, the holiday season, time off from school, the whole deal. Um, what What is that like as a player? You know, is it almost I don't want to say it's better to be away and have the games but if the, your job is important and it's it requires a lot of focus so is that at all better worse indifferent just part of the part of the deal or you know what do you think uh yes 
all of the above. <laughs> it it, uh, it depends on how things are going. Obviously, uh, you know, I I always I'd get excited. I I liked having games around the holidays. Uh, They're fun to be at home. So that means you know friends, family, whoever could come out and uh, spend some time with you. And it was also nice to spend some time with your family. But then it was better that you just played every other night. One because they could get to see as many games as possible and two well you could get to the rink as much as possible and your <laughs> wife would have to deal with all the families but no it was it was spectacular uh, i always liked having that at the at certain times uh, it's it's when you're on the road actually that's kind of when it can be tough uh just traveling a ton uh, i remember one year in uh minnesota uh played at detroit a home and home with detroit the day before Christmas. So 23rd, we played at, uh, 22nd, we played at Detroit, 23rd at home, came back 26th at Toronto, 27th at Detroit. And you know, you, when you're traveling like that around the holidays, you just, you don't, you don't, you don't really have a holiday. It almost feels like you just, I slept pretty much the majority of Christmas, even though most of my family was over, but so it, it almost feels like you just play right through it. As opposed to, I liked I liked knowing the holidays were around. So when my friends and family would come out for Christmas, when it was Thanksgiving, whatever it may be, that was always fun for me for them to come out, you know, come out to New York, come out to wherever I was playing, Dallas, and you know, then it actually felt like a true holiday. As opposed to when you when you're on the road, that's when it just gets the travel gets to you more when you're on the road as opposed to when you're at home and people are traveling to see you. Yeah, yeah, and the Islanders have a have a busy one between the week between Christmas and New Year's, you know, they come back, uh, from the, from the three day break. And now I, I don't know if it, I don't think it was the same way when you played before the, before the last CBA where no team activities of any kind, 24th, 25th, 26th. So the Islanders are basically going to get themselves to Chicago on the day of the game against the Hawks yeah. on the 27th and then just say, all right, here we go. We're going to play. And, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, they're a team yeah. with with enough of a foundation and, and I think uh, enough enough professionalism, like a lot of teams, to know what they need to do over the holiday break. But and it's Chicago, certainly an easy place to get to. But it does restrict where you can kind of spend your Christmas, um, yeah. spend that little break. You know, I'm sure as you when you played, when you did have even the shortest break, some guys would try to go catch some sun if it was really nasty in New York or Minnesota. And um, so it, you know, like you said, it's, it's, we all, we all go through it now uh, traveling around the holidays, even just driving around or if you happen to be flying um, it's a headache. And I, you know, that applies to everybody pro athletes as well. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That was tough. It was, uh, that was with the, with a one trip of the wild. Yeah. Having to, so 24th, 25th off, then all of a sudden you're catching a, we got to get on a a. 6am flight. Uh, the 26th to Toronto and play that night and you just you're not used to that that's not part of your normal routine I remember uh, in Florida uh, my rookie year uh, 24th 25th off we played the 26th in Carolina uh, and what have, most of us ended up instead of flying back the 26th we just flew in ourselves Christmas right night right. to Carolina just flew right in so then at least we had a good night's sleep then you know, so it was, uh, and those, it's tricky. Yeah, you're professional. Yeah, you want to go out there and put your best foot forward. But when you're not used to that kind of schedule, it, it gets to you. The legs legs get a little heavy. The the mind can waver a little bit after all the turkey and ham and <laughs> everything you've eaten and drank uh, for the, the two days before then. And you don't get a chance to really work that out of your system and practice. It, uh, it can be tough. It's much more tough uh, physically, actually, than it is mentally. 
Yeah, and I think uh, this team, you know, has shown under Barry Trotz with their with their crazy record in back to back games. I think they've got uh, just doing a quick glance. They don't have too many back, you know, games on consecutive nights. Just uh, in Detroit and in Montreal the first week of December, but there's a lot of every other night. Um, I think we're going to see the goalie rotation continue pretty well, you know, unless somebody really falters here. And I think in the last couple of weeks, we've seen both Grice and Semyon Varlamov have a, have an off night, uh, even in games that they've won. But, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any, any, you know, uh, inclination, uh, as far as the schedule goes for Barry to, to change things. And I think the way that they've handled it too is, um, you know, that building that confidence in both guys sets you up, I assume, uh, really well for the back half of the schedule and going into the playoffs. I mean, usually in the playoffs, it's only going to be one guy. But but a, the, to build the trust in the team and say, whoever's playing, you're playing the same way in front of them. You don't have to try harder because this guy's a little struggles a little bit more. You don't have to be shell a little bit harder because this guy doesn't handle rebounds well. They just seem yeah. to be in a rhythm that uh, last night notwithstanding has, uh, has really set them, set them up well going forward exactly what you're going for yeah because that is there's nothing worse than being on the bench and all of a sudden you see who's starting and you're like, oh boy we better, <laughs> we better be tight tonight boys you know let's keep it away from our net or uh you know if the if the starter if whoever it is that's the varlamov may be struggling let's just say and uh you know grice gets pulled after the first period and as soon as you see varlamov putting his helmet on you know uh-oh, like you, the whole bench is kind of starting to hold their breath already. Not, I'm not saying that's the case, but that when they, you do have that one goaltender, that if he doesn't really have confidence in his game, then it certainly filters right through the bench. Yeah, I'm curious too. You know, we, we touched on it a little bit in the first segment about uh, the Islanders wanting to roll four lines, and obviously, when you have a heavy schedule like this, you're not gonna. You're not going to play Matthew Barzal and Brock Nelson 20 plus minutes each night. You just it's December. You can't afford to do yeah. that. So Otto Koivula is still here. He was scratched last night. He played four games. He, you know he showed a little bit. Uh, I think he's I think he's uh, as Barry said he's earning earning trust. And I think uh, you know playing eight nine minutes a night. Um, but I don't know if that's a long term solution. So I I sort of feel like that red hot Beauvillier Nelson Brassard line just can't last much longer because they do need start in the middle um leo komarov has been scratched a bunch uh i don't necessarily you know we haven't heard anything from anybody with the team but i can't imagine that he's 100 percent healthy if he's continually being scratched i don't i don't really know that they would they would keep him out of the lineup for what he brings um so if he's a little banged up tom kunaka will be back eventually but uh that's not really a solution at down the middle um how crucial do you feel like it is for them to have 12 forwards that they can use you know in descending order of importance obviously but still to have that fourth line with three guys that you know you can throw out there for a regular shift it's it's enormous especially hitting to this time of year this is kind of the you get to that 30 to 30 35 to you know 50 50 game 60 right around there maybe this goes game 50 game 55 that's the that's kind of the meat of the season and that's where you really need to lean on everybody like you said you can't overplay uh, any of the big guys and it's one of the harder things to do for the coaches is to break up a line that's just red hot but sometimes you have to just do that for longevity for the for the purpose of the season to keep everybody together and or Maybe you put one of those guys with a couple other guys just to get them going, like just to light a fire. Like, all right, well, Broussard's flying right now. 
let's put him back in the middle. Let's let's you know let's move Sezikis back. Whatever the heck, whatever it is you might want to do as a coach to break up that line to hopefully get everybody else going. But most importantly, is to not put too much strain on a guy, especially when you're coming down that home stretch. Once you get past game 55, once you get past. The all-star break, it's all of a sudden like, all right, boys, like now it's it's go time. We need to be at our best once the playoffs hit. So you're just you're pushing, pushing, pushing more and more and more to get better and be the best team you possibly can be come the start of the playoffs. So yeah, right now is when it's really is important to should that manage that time, manage the team. Hopefully you can get those four lines. So yeah, you can just give some guys or maybe just a full line if they're off, kind of give them a break one night. You know, take yeah. a few minutes off, and that's it's more mental, it's more physical and mental battling just because it's so many games. Not necessarily that the coach is down on how they're playing. It's just like we need to save a little gas in the tank here, boys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could I could certainly see uh, whether it's tomorrow night. Um, I could see Beauvillier moving up to play with Barzal, taking Anders Lee's spot. You know, Lee Nelson and Josh Bailey was uh, was a pretty good line for some of last year Everly was good with Nelson you know I think like you said you you take some pieces that are that are struggling a little bit move them around maybe if you put Everly alongside Nelson that gets Everly going Beauvillier yeah. could go up uh you know or, or put him up with Barzell Barzell's been playing well but I think those two guys are a pretty dynamic crew so maybe you leave Everly there yep. put Beauvillier on, on the left side and that gets Everly going there's there's a lot of ways you can you can slice it up I think when you look at that kind of that kind of mystery line of uh, whether you put Broussard in the middle there, if Komarov's good enough to go, um, you know, he's on one side, maybe Michael Dalcall. Dalcall worked well with, with Brock Nelson at times this year. But, um, you know, I think you get into December too with all these games and you start to, other teams start to shake out as well as you get towards the holidays. And, uh, you know, we'll maybe see some teams because nobody's really dropped. The bottom hasn't dropped out on any real, any team yet. I mean, LA's, probably last in the in the west and they're only maybe seven or eight points out of a playoff spot so it's yeah nobody's ready to, nobody's raising the white flag yet to say <laughs> we've got we've got this middle sixer or this guy that we're willing to get rid of now and if the islanders sitting where they are and with a decent amount of cap space can look around and say yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll start to shop around a little bit and see what's you know wh- whether it's someone who's a, a cheap reliable middle six pickup on the wing or in the middle um, it's, uh, you know, I think, I think this is a December where, where the, the moving starts. Yeah. 100%. Again, my Lord. Yeah. Stop agreeing with me. We'll get to, yeah, we'll get to a right. segment. Yeah, we'll on. get to a, yeah, we'll get to something that, <laughs> where we don't agree. All right. Let's, let's take a break for a second here. I, I want to talk to you guys about DoorDash. You know, if you're anything like me and your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwaved leftovers and frozen pizza, enter DoorDash, restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. I love it. I can get Jimmy John's out here and I don't have to get out of my sweatpants. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. For me out here in Minnesota, I don't quite have the Italian choices you guys have in New York, but find your favorite restaurant and DoorDash will bring it to you. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code BELMONT. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code BELMONT. Don't forget, that's promo code BELMONT for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. All right, great. Now let's get back to this show. 
Well, we've uh, we've broken down end of the Islander streak, a busy month to come, and now I think we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit of a detour. There's been uh, a couple of incidents, one a lot more serious than the other, that have uh, that have come up come to light um, in the last few days. Uh, Mike Babcock was fired by the Leafs last week. Uh, it came out that he had a, a kind of a, a motivational moment gone awry with Mitch Marner when Marner was a rookie back in 2016-17. That that le- you know that Babcock leaked out to the to the room and kind of soured a lot of people on him up in Toronto. Um, and then more recently, uh, Akeem Aliyu, uh, a journeyman player who uh, played for Bill Peters, the current Flames coach, when the two were in Rockford in the in the Hawks system. Uh, very serious allegation that uh, Peters used a racial slur toward Leo, who's uh, of African descent. Uh, it was corroborated in a TSN story by two of uh, Leo's teammates back then. Um, Peters has been suspended, I believe, by the Flames pending their internal investigation. Uh, you know, just as an aside, my own view, I can't see how they go back from this. Um, it seems it seems pretty pretty solid uh, in terms of the. Uh, the corroboration and an awful, awful situation from almost a decade ago. Um, and these are kind of two extreme examples of what everyone likes to call hockey culture. Uh, coaches, how they treat their players, how they motivate players. Um, it seems very uh, odd to those of us. Uh, you know, I've played team sports up through high school, but nothing like that. And I think once you get to a level in hockey, whether it's college or junior or the pros, where the stakes are a lot higher. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand what the atmosphere is like and how coaches try to motivate their players. So, Mark, um, you played at every level and a super high level for a long, long time. What do you make of these these incidents, I guess you could call them, and, and what did it recall for you in your career? Uh, well, first off, I'm, I'm glad that I, I never was a part of, never witnessed anything uh, racist I, I i never did I, I you know heard about it it happens and, and it's terrible it's it's too bad that uh uh it happens at any pro sports it's too bad it happens in life and, and for me especially when it comes from a coach uh and that's where kind of to me it ties into to you know second question about how they uh, how you know how they get the best out of players how you coach how you inspire and, and the key word is inspire uh, I, I've always found the best coaches are the ones that talk to you and they inspire you. They don't have to yell at you. That's a, it's a very old-fashioned uh, style of coaching, and and it's it's funny how many times I heard it either growing up, all the way up through the NHL, and there was other plenty of other NHL coaches that would yell and then you know they they'd get negative and they're like, oh, I'm just trying to get the best out of you. This is what you know. Now, this is what Mike Keenan did to me, and this is what my coaches did to me. Well, right. that, that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it okay uh, that you had a coach that did it to you, and whether you felt it worked for you, whether you felt it moving forward. I, the best coaches that I, that I ever played for, uh, yeah, Laviolette was, a, you know, he was a passionate guy on the bench. He was yelling. When it came to the locker room, 99% of the time, yeah, he would be talked to you. If it, and that's what I really appreciate. Dave Tippett, guys like that, that you can get your point across. I mean, we're professional, we're adults without yelling and degrading us. And, and to hear, and that's the, the, the one that part that disturbs me most about the Peters issue. You're a coach, like you're in, you're in a, you're in power. 
You're in position of power. You have a lot of say. And if you've got to get stooped to a level that low to, to use a racial slur to what you think is either going to scare a guy, get a guy's attention, I, I mean, that's just weak coaching. That's disappointing. And I don't believe uh, he doesn't belong to coach anywhere in my mind just because of that because that doesn't make you a good coach. It just makes you an asshole. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And, and that's the part that that's more upsetting from a person who's been around the game for a long time and you've been in and around the game for a long time is that you you know these things stay hidden and it's not yep. it's not a knock on Akeem Aliyu uh, you know he was a 20 year old oh. player trying to you know a first year pro uh, and I can only imagine what that's like to hear that from someone who's your first pro coach who's a guy who's been designated by the Hawks organization to mold all their minor league prospects and minor league players into being potential NHLers and that's yeah you know to have that happen and be called out in such a in such a disgusting manner in front of your teammates uh you know it it, it, he said it in the tsn story he said it broke him you know and and yeah he never he was a second round pick he was a super skilled guy and he never quite caught on and you wonder for him whether things could have been different if that hadn't happened if he hadn't crossed paths with bill peters uh or Mm -hmm. for other guys who we never know that flame out you know and we kind of say oh that guy's a bust well, who knows? And you know, you can't blame. You're not putting the solely the blame on any anybody's coach, but uh, no. But everybody reacts to those things differently, like you said. I mean, were you ever in a situation where you felt like, you know, these this guy's playing mind games with me? I don't mind it because it's not it's not it's it's harmless. But uh, you know, there yes. are certainly coaches, and there's guys that are considered masters of the craft. You were you know you played for Jacques Lemaire, you played yeah. for Peter Laviolette. There there guys have different ways of of getting people going yeah 100 percent. and yeah and in, in, in a way almost every single coach will do play some form of mind game to 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 get you going or maybe to get the best out of you and in certain degrees of of uh level of difficulty i guess i, I could say uh, when it comes to the mind games where some guys like lemaire would push you you know he he wanted to push the boundaries he wanted to see how far it t- take it would take to break you or even if you could break him. Laviolette a little bit, you know, they'd push you a little bit. They'd tip it a little bit. But, you know, all of them had, like, different ways of getting the best out of you. And some of them, you could probably categorize them all as mind games. But never personal. Right. You don't draw the you draw the line at that. It's It was always hockey. It's on ice, things like that. When you're talking about person, something that, that you just grow up, whatever it is, uh, you know, religion, race, creed, whatever it may be, that's personal. That's not right. You keep it to the sport, keep it to hockey, and you leave it on the ice. And that's one of the things that I believe the NHL, what I love about the players and my former teammates and former opponents I sit there and try and knock each other's te- teeth out, and a couple hours later after the game, you go have a beer and you laugh about it. It's never ever personal, and that's that's where it's just gone way too far over the line with with Peters on this. Yeah, I mean, it, we we talk about you know people like to compare it to oh well you know this is it's not real life. That's the, the sports, especially pro sports, operates in a in a different workplace setting than anything anybody could ever imagine, and. Um, that doesn't make this acceptable in any way, shape, or form. But this talking about the Babcock-Marner thing, which I'll try to summarize quickly, I guess uh, Babcock pulled Marner aside during Marner's rookie year and asked him to list the his teammates who he thought from the best to the worst had the best work ethic to the, the one that needed the work, needed more, more of a work ethic. And Marner, being a rookie and wanting to please his coach in a private setting, did that. 
and Babcock revealed his list to the room. And, um, you know, he, he when in that story came out, Babcock, I think, texted uh, Elliot Friedman, said it was a motivational tool and it didn't work. It was stupid. And, you know, after the fact of being fired, obviously, maybe that was an apology that was due earlier <laughs> to his players. Much and earlier. And maybe, maybe would have helped save the situation <laughs> because, you know, I think um, you don't have to be a, a super insider to have heard secondhand or thirdhand or even firsthand of players who played for Babcock in Toronto who did not love his style and who felt um, that he he played too many games, that he was a little bit uh, dishonest in some of his dealings with some of his players. And it's certainly come out publicly uh, on Twitter if you follow certain former players. Mike Commodore is one very outspoken guy. I think Mark Fraser, who's a little, a lot less outspoken, but uh, but a you know a well-regarded former player, both had a lot of strong things to say. So when you hear about that stuff and you think back to the things, whether it was Jacques Lemaire or, or Lavi, um, uh, obviously it has to land. You have to be able to to make yep. it work. And like you said, if it's if it's something where you're singling a guy out in front of the room, I can't imagine that that the rest of the room feels like that was a good idea. No, exactly. You're picking on one of our family members, and yeah, there's been uh, times with uh, with Jacques that that he went, you know, he went over the board when it comes to that. When it comes to uh, how he's inspiring a motivational tool, tool, uh, not uh, not to that level, but he, you go too far for to a point. If you're just pushing one guy too far, the the scary part is not that he's going to be the backlash where he's going to crumble. You might lose him. You're going to lose more than him because you said it. Like we're a family. This is our. These are our brothers. These are our best friends that we're playing alongside with. So maybe you're not picking on. Uh, let's just say uh, for me, my example with like uh, Pierre Marc Bouchard. Uh, you know, Lemaire push him, push him, push him. Well, the problem was is that it pissed off myself. It pissed off Rolston. It pissed off Gabrick. So you, Dimitri, you're 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 in, you're you're risking alienating yourself not just from the player that you think you're 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 motivating or pushing him to motivate you're alienating yourself from your key players your core players and that's exactly what mike bobcat bob bob <laughs> babcock did uh in toronto he, he got to a point where yeah one not just one of his, his best players if not his most his most intelligent hockey player but you're pissing off his friends. You're pissing off his linemates. You're pissing off the rest of the guys in the room. And once that happens, your voice just slowly deteriorates because it's just going to get around more and more. Once the core doesn't like that anymore, it starts to get that backlash, you're done. It's only a matter of time before that team shuts off on you and stops listening. And that's what happened to the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, you know, talking to guys that played for Al Arbor on the dynasty teams, whether it was Clark Gillies or. Butch Goring always has a lot of good stories. You know, I I imagine that there were some things said back then, um, and the keywords there are back then that that wouldn't yeah. fly today. Um, you know, I think uh, if you'd ask Barry Trotz about this situation today, or you know, I think Paul Maurice, I saw a quote from him in, in his press conference about he was referring more to the Babcock situation about how you have to adapt, you have to change, and that's what all good teachers do. That you 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 can't say it's only my way or, and you all have to adapt to me those those days are over in sports yeah. in life in education um you know we live in a in a much different era of uh you know uh, of openness i guess of players being allowed to have feelings and yeah. not everybody is fits the same mold um 
so yeah so when I, you know those the old days are the old days and i think uh yeah. guys like babcock guys like bill peters um you know the, the only good thing that can come out of this is for nhl owners and nhl gms to realize that you have to have a guy who can who can adapt with the times and adapt to the modern athlete because otherwise this stuff is going to come out and and um you know, it, it it still amazes me that that a guy like Bill Peters um, progressed as much as he did from that point. He was he was one of the most well regarded coaches around. You know, he was a Team yeah. Canada guy for a long time before he got to Carolina. Um, it's uh, it you know it, the hope is that there's a little sunshine that gets on these sorts of situations and and they can start to change from a very from the lowest levels of youth hockey all the way on up. Yeah, it's. Uh... That's for sure. It's it's just it's shocking me, like you say. You know, even when we talk about Al Arbor and you talk about the back then and back then. Well, good lord! I mean, he's, this is still flat out racist, even if it was back then. So right, right. I'm, not, I'm talking more. No. I'm talking more about motivational stuff than than flat out racist stuff. Or yeah. Homoph- oh, you know, homophobic sure. stuff, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And that's why you know I brought up like that's when when coaches be like, wow, that's what my old coach did to me. Right. And that's just that that that's where that non progression where that. Uh, they're just not able to, you know, roll with the changes. That's for sure. Well, uh, I think we've used up our time today, and we used it wisely. So, thanks for your uh, your insight, as always. This is why we have you around for uh, oh, to, to bring you, us buddy. into the locker room, and uh, <laughs> and by that I mean tell us, give us some more twelve U youth girls Minnesota hockey updates for, <laughs> for next time. I hope I hope Go they continue Spartans. on. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, This has been No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. See you next time. Thanks a lot.